Hi, everyone. Dave Stahoviak back with you for the third lesson in this course on how to delegate better. If you're picking up the podcast here for the first time, hello to you. You're catching us right in the middle of this audio course. Do not worry, the next regular episode is coming on Monday. The reason I'm airing this audio course this week is because applications are open to the Coaching for Leaders Academy through this Friday, September 9th. Details are at coachingforleaders.com slash academy. And if you want access to this free audio course permanently, just set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com or just hop back to the first two lessons on your app to catch up. All right, here's our third lesson, the delegation dialogue. I bet at some point in your life, you have rented an automobile on a business trip or a vacation away from home. Think back to the last time you rented a car. I've got a question for you about your experience. When you filled it with fuel, did you put in the most expensive, highest octane, premium grade fuel, or did you fill it with the cheap stuff? I've asked this question to many groups over the years, and I have yet to have anybody tell me that they put in the premium fuel in a rental, unless, of course, the vehicle or the rental company explicitly required it. Why not? Why don't we just go the extra step to go above and beyond with an obviously valuable and often expensive asset like an automobile? The most common answer I hear to that question is a simple one. It's not mine. It's the same reason virtually nobody washes a rental car or checks the oil or anything like that. It's not ours. It belongs to somebody else. Of course, we're going to take care of it and do the minimum to make sure we don't cause any damage to the vehicle or harm it in any way. But we're not going to go above and beyond the basics. Turns out that's pretty standard behavior for most of us when we don't have ownership over something. We'll do what we feel we're obligated to do, of course, but we're not likely to go much beyond that. It's why ownership is so important in the delegation process, too. In the last lesson, we defined what done looks like. But you may have noticed the absence of any conversation about how the work should be done. That's intentional because that's not going to start with the manager. Ideally, that starts with the employee. When you start a delegation dialogue with somebody, defining what done looks like is the place to begin. That's what's so important to know before the dialogue starts, so both of you know exactly what done looks like and the outcomes that both parties want. So when you start the dialogue, begin there. Detail out the time and cost and quality standards we discussed in the last lesson. Depending on the size and scope of what you're delegating, that might just be a few sentences verbally, or maybe a 45-minute conversation with detailed documentation. Either way, you're aiming to get clarity on time, cost, and quality. And then, once you've defined done, it's their turn. You're going to ask them to prepare a plan for how they will achieve those objectives. For something simple, they might be able to do that in the moment. But for most projects of any size, you're going to want to give them time to come back to you with a detailed plan. And they put together a draft of that plan, not you. That way they have ownership over the work. It's not just a rental car, if you will. They have a stake in this coming together as well. 
Too often, managers assume that defining done means detailing out exactly how the work needs to be done. Now, there are, of course, exceptions for legal or compliance reasons when you do need to do that. But most of the time, micromanaging every detail on how somebody does the work only gets them treating the work the same way they treat a rental car, delivering the basics, but not going above and beyond. That's why I call this a delegation dialogue. You've defined what done looks like, but you're asking them to put together the how they're going to do it so that it will likely achieve done within the parameters you've defined. Now, obviously, if someone is brand new to the work or has little experience on how to get started, they're going to need a lot of support from you. And that's fine. That's important. You can help. But a huge missed opportunity is not involving that person at all in the ownership of the work up front. If they're experienced enough to have you delegating this work to them in the first place, then they have at least a starting point to contribute to the plan. When that's the case, I really like the language that Michael Bungay Stanier uses in his best-selling book, The Advice Trap. When someone asks our advice on how to do something, he suggests that we might respond by saying, well, I have a few ideas and I'm happy to share them. But before I do, what's one idea you have on how you might approach this? The reason that's so important is because not only are you giving them ownership, but you're also developing skill. Yes, managers delegate so that organizations can do more work and handle complexity, but we're also delegating in order to help develop the skills of the people we lead, ideally both of those things at the same time. If you're just handing someone a perfectly planned out project, first of all, it's never going to go exactly to plan, but more importantly, you're not giving them the ownership than giving them the chance to learn from their experience. So the request here is simple. Ask them to bring back their draft plan and then review it in a second conversation. Again, this is a dialogue, right? We're not just dumping work on somebody. We're having an ongoing conversation about it to ensure that all the parties get the results that are important. Speaking of dialogue, in that then second conversation, you're going to do more of the listening. As your employee or whoever you've delegated the work to walks through their plan, you want to be thinking about it through the lens of time, cost, and quality. Based on your experience and what you know about all the variables, does the plan you're hearing line up? Most managers don't have a problem identifying and coaching their employees on big and obvious issues with project plans. After all, it's pretty obvious that you're going to need to do some coaching and redirection if they come back with a plan to spend 20 hours on something and you only have a budget for 10. So yes, you got to take care of the big stuff. But I want to invite you to spend more time listening and noticing the minor issues with their plan. Because that's where I think more managers make a bigger mistake. A minor issue, by the way, is something you see in their plan that it's still going to get to the objectives of what done is, but you see a way that they could do it a little bit more efficiently or make it easier on themselves. When you hear those, and you will almost always hear those every time, note it and set it aside. Most of the time, coaching them on this is actually counterproductive. 
Here's why. Part of the learning process for all of us is making mistakes, figuring out stuff as we go. If someone has artificially removed all of those obstacles for us in advance, it's not giving the person a chance to experiment, to get creative, to try new things, to grow. Those, by the way, are the kinds of things most of us want in our careers. None of us want to follow a rote checklist for everything we do. We want to be challenged and, yes, of course, supported, but to have the autonomy to make mistakes and to get back on our feet and maybe even figure out a way to do something better than anyone has done it in the organization before. And we also want ownership. Marshall Goldsmith, in his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, warns leaders that you might improve someone's idea by 5%, but you run the risk of reducing their motivation to pursue it by a lot more. Why? Because once you start nitpicking it, it's not their plan anymore. If they walk in with a plan that will achieve the objectives you've outlined, and it isn't perfect, and then you spend 30 minutes quote-unquote improving it, guess what? It's not their plan anymore. And you're right back to renting the work instead of owning it. Address the big things, of course, the ones that will cause them to fail if they don't. But on the little stuff, let it go. That's where the real learning for them begins. I mentioned in the last lesson that milestones are really important to determine up front, and the delegation dialogue is the place to do that. You want to establish milestones up front when you'll check in with them on their progress. The reason milestones are so important is that it both helps them get the support they need, and it prevents you from micromanaging. All of us have had a micromanager at some point, and none of us want to be that person, but sometimes we are even when we don't intend it. We see something going off track with someone's work, and we immediately jump in to correct it, thinking that we're helping. And that may correct the immediate issue, but our well-intended swooping in can feel a lot like micromanagement to them. Setting regular check-in milestones prevents this because you're establishing space in advance to discuss when things go off track. That means it's less likely you'll feel like you need to swoop in, and it's also less likely that they'll feel like you're micromanaging, since when you do those check-ins at the milestones you've identified, they're expecting it. By the way, if you feel like you need to have more oversight or someone needs more support, don't do that by swooping in more between check-ins. Just increase the frequency of those check-ins and talk about that with them. Again, this is a dialogue. You can also decrease the frequency of check-ins if things are going great. It's an ongoing conversation between you both. The big message here, you define what done looks like. Then they put together the draft of their plan to do the work. You dialogue about it together and coach them on the things that will cause failure if you don't address them. But you're also setting the minor things aside. And finally, decide together on the right cadence for check-ins going forward. You may have noticed that we're almost 75% through this course on delegation, and the work hasn't even started on the thing you're delegating. That is really intentional. And that's because most of the work of the manager in delegation is done before the work ever starts. Sometimes managers say to me, well, 
that's all fine, but it's not really work yet. But for the manager, figuring all this out is the work. That's the job of management. Defining done, having an ongoing delegation dialogue, and then, as we'll discuss in the fourth and final lesson, what to do when people run into trouble. So much about delegation is following a process. It's investing time up front to decide what should happen and then having the discipline to follow through. It's amazing how well that works when you do it. It's one of the reasons in the academy that we work so much on consistency. Our members hear me invite them all the time. Consistency over intensity. And that's why when we set up our commitments and our accountability partners, it's intended to get us moving intentionally on one action, five minutes a day, that over time makes a huge difference. If you're seeking support for that kind of consistency right now, I hope you will consider applying for the Academy and working with me and other leaders personally. Applications are open now, but they close this Friday, September 9th. For details, go over to coachingforleaders.com academy. And for permanent access to this course, go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership if you haven't already. And the final lesson coming tomorrow, what to do when the obstacles show up.